0: and welcome to episode 7 of the Next Go Wins podcast. On this week's podcast, we are joined by none other than Manchester United's all-time leading appearance maker, Ryan Giggs. We hope you enjoy the podcast, and thank you for listening.
1: Okay, uh, welcome to another episode of Next Go Wins podcast. And we've got a very exciting guest this week. Uh, How are you guys, first of all?
0: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, uh, good. Oh, yeah, all good over here. It's an (laughs) exciting one this week. We've also got a big guest uh, in Ryan Giggs. How are we doing, Ryan? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. You okay? Yep. so, yeah, not bad. Uh, If we go back to the start of your career, just to get started, uh, everyone knows you began your career uh, in the youth setup of at Ban United. What was it like for a lad, you know, growing up in the Salford area to get the opportunity to join such an iconic club?
2: Yeah, growing up as a United fan, obviously, it was, it was exciting. Um, I think um, I was lucky in the fact that I played for Salford boys and Salford boys played all their games literally 50 yards away from the cliff. So I was aware of the cliff. I was aware of um, obviously um, the interest of United from an early age. But yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, the cliff was an amazing place, obviously so much history. Um, obviously we've moved um, onto bigger um, facilities in Carrington, but Cliff had that that history and, um, and it was a real closeness. So when you did come, um, Whether it be in the school holidays at school, you know, you were literally eating next to your heroes. So it was an amazing time. And um, yeah, it was a it was a really it was a time that set you up and set the foundations for for your career.
1: How good a learning environment was the cliff with the fact that you say you were eating next to your heroes? Um, you maybe sometimes got to see them train from time to time. Um, I assume because the venue's so small. Um, did that make it a very good learning environment for yourself?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if we go back to when I was a schoolboy, um, you know, we used to go down Tuesday, Thursday nights to the cliff in the indoor um, facility, and Archie Knox, who was then the assistant manager, and now and again Sir Alex Ferguson would come down. So it was, um, you know, something that you would you you wouldn't experience now. Um, and then yeah like like I say um you would try and keep yourself to yourself because you were young and obviously you're not approaching the first team players the likes of Brian Robson Mark Hughes but you were literally you know queuing up um with your heroes like I say so it was um it was a great learning curve it was um it stood me in good stead for when I did get into the first team because I was ne- I was never sort of starstruck or overawed because of the environment that that I was used to. Mm.
0: Quite unique. unique. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you were obviously coached by my uh, granddad, Eric Harrison, uh, during your time at United. Uh, how much of a lasting influence did he have on you at the time and then going through your career? No, huge. Um, I think, um, you know... I was
2: in the A-team and the youth team at quite an early age, you know, 14, 15. And um, Eric was, uh, first of all, um, all his teams played amazing football. But, um, you know, it, was, it has been well documented. Eric was tough and he would test you both on and off the pitch. So he was really preparing you for first-team football and... You know that is the job of the youth team coach, really, to prepare you for what is to come. Like I say, both football-wise and mentally. So, going into that um, environment, you're ready, and we certainly were because of because of Eric. And it was um, it was hard sometimes. You know, some of the runs that um, Eric would give us, it would take you completely out of your comfort zone, and. Also little things like, you know, I'll give you a few examples. It was snowing once and we just thought, oh, we'd just be in the gym. So he would come down, well, he'd come down on this occasion and just went, well, right, okay, lads, get in your cars, because we used to train over at Littleton Road. Get in your cars, we're training over to Littleton Road and we're all looking at each other going, it's thick with snow. <laughs> so we go over to Littleton Road because you didn't even question it. Go over to Littleton Road, you get out on the pitch, we're freezing and he gets out a rugby ball. And we actually played rugby. Oh. Now, some of, the guys, <laughs> some of the guys that I grew up, I was lucky. My dad was a rugby player. I grew up in a rugby environment, so I was fine. But some of the lads had never played rugby in their life. And <laughs> um, we played rugby for like half an hour. And the lads are not <laughs> knowing the rules. They're throwing it forward like an American football. But it was just, you know, it just kept you on your toes all the time. Um, yeah. Another example was when I was, I think I was 15, I was playing in the A team. And um, we were playing against Marine, which was a men's team and a men's team in Liverpool. So as you can imagine, Man Man United going to Marine, uh, full of like Everton, Liverpool fans. (laughs) And I played centre forward and I was playing against this man, literally, I was 15, I I think he was like a 30-year-old man. And the goalkeeper, Ian Wilkinson, just kept hitting the ball right on top of this centre half. And I just turned round and I said to Wilco, Wilco, (laughs) just hit it a little bit flatter, don't keep hitting it so high because the the centre half just going right away through me just headbutting the back of my head and he said no Eric's told me to just keep hitting it on top of you and I'm like (laughs) and that was a test that was a test to see if I could handle it and there's nothing I could do about it and I just had to just come through it really and you know try and uh, (laughs) not get an elbow in the back of the head but it was little things like that where he would try he would really push you and try and take you out of your comfort zone
1: did I ever get to the stage where you were able to face every challenge that he almost put up to you? Or did he just come up with constant new challenges to bring, just keep trying to bring you to the next level and the next level? Well, I I think um,
2: he never wanted you to get comfortable, but there was a balance. You know, there was a balance. You yeah. know, I'll just give you a, a few examples there, but when you played well or an occasion, sometimes even when you're not playing well and you needed an arm around you, he he could do that as well. So... But you never got comfortable. You never felt that um, you you'd made it, and he never allowed that. And to be fair, you know your teammates would never allow that. There, there was a, there was another occasion which was uh, quite a funny story where um, I actually signed You can sign professional forms when you're 17. So I'm in the manager's office, so Alex Ferguson's office. I sign my professional forms. And I never liked college. We used to go to college on Thursday and I never liked it. So I said to the manager, I said to the gaffer, do I still have to go to college? And he went, no, you're a professional now. You can do whatever you want. So I'm, right, great. So (laughs) the next Thursday, I just come to training. I I was training with the first team then. I trained with the first team and I'm queuing up after training. Obviously, the youth team had trained, uh, the A team had trained at Littleton Road i'm queuing up for dinner i'd have a shower got changed and eric comes straight for me here he, the college had rang him and said listen ryan's not been in today and he comes i was queuing up i actually had my tray of food he went what are you doing here i went what do you mean he says it's thursday you got college i went and i said it like quite cockily cock like quite cocky i said no nah, it's okay eric uh, the manager said uh, i don't need to go to college college anymore and he went well the, ma- the manager's effing wrong get yourself on that 52 bus <laughs> and get yourself to college. And I, I put down my food oh, and I had to get the 52 to b- back to college. And obviously when I walked in the um, when I walked in the classroom, all the lads are gone, what are you doing here? I says, oh, Eric's, you know, he's, uh, he's just giving me um, a bit of a telling
0: off and I've had to come to college, so I had to go to college for the rest of the year.
1: Fantastic.
0: So you talk about, obviously, you just touched on it being a tough experience. Were there any players that you played with um, in the youth setup, that you were surprised didn't quite make it to the same level as some of the other lads did.
2: Um,
0: you, well, I mean, uh,
2: 14, 15, we had a player who was my age, Raphael Burke, who mm. was he was the best player in in the UK. Um, when you would watch mm. him, you would like we go, oh no, have I got to get to that level? That is, I mean, he was going past players like they weren't there and he was physically stronger than everyone else. He was so skillful; he could do every trick. He would be like, if I could compare him, he would be like Cristiano now, Cristiano Ronaldo, in the way that he played and the way that he could beat players with pace, or he had every trick in the book. And then we obviously, uh, he didn't really grow. He didn't enjoy the experience. Some of the things that I've just talked about, he never really um, enjoyed that side of it. And he just slowly faded away. And he'll admit to himself that he didn't work hard enough and he just didn't have what it takes. And he was a great lad. He was such a talent. So there were players who um, you would fully expect at 14-15 to go on and make it and they just didn't. And then there's the opposite as well. Yeah. You know, players who didn't stand out at that time, who just had something in them that um, that in the end they... They made themselves. They um, pushed themselves to be professional footballers.
1: Do you think that's down to the mental side of the game?
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because Raf Rafael had more skill than me, more skill than any player um, at that age, mm. 14, 15. He just didn't have that something that you needed to push yourself. And um, you know, there was, there was players that I played with who didn't have half the skill that Raf had but just had that mental stability, that mental strength and um, would take themselves out of the comfort zone and would just get everything possible
0: out of their game. And, um, yeah, went on to to make it. How hard was it to make them, you know, sacrifices like not going out with your mates or um, not doing stuff that usual teenagers did? How hard was it to do, even though you knew you had to do it? I mean, it it was hard. I mean, um,
2: I remember... I would still go to the youth club on a Friday night and youth club would finish at like, I remember that. I would go to a youth club where my friends from my Sunday league team went. So it wasn't where I lived actually. I had to get two buses there. So about half nine, I had a decision to make. This was Friday night. Um, Do I get the bus? The last bus was like 10 o'clock do I get the last bus or do I spend an extra hour with them and then end up running home? And it was about seven or eight miles. Um, and it wasn't easy. You know, some some days I'd just get the bus. Other, ty- other times we would have yeah. be having a good time and I'd think, no, I'm having a good time here, you know, but knowing that I would miss the last bus and I'd have to run home. So in itself, that was like taking you out out of your comfort zone but it's not easy because you you're missing out on you know mates 18th, mates 21st um you know leaving parties at school so it's not easy but you have to do it and you know I give you a couple of examples there where I, I would stay out a little bit longer but that was that was very rare normally I'd get myself on the bus and get
0: ready for for the game the next day Yeah, you you were you were the first out of the obviously so-called class of '92 to make the first team, first team debut. How did you use that experience to guide and sort of give advice to the other boys coming through?
2: Well, I was dipping in and out of, so I would play for the first team, but also, so when we won the youth cup, I'd I'd already played quite a number of games for the first team, but I would come back and train and Mm. play in the youth team. So it wasn't as if I would give, you know, lights of Scolzi or Nev or Bex or Buddy advice. Mm-hmm. I think it was more talking to them and, you know, what was it like, you know, travel down to London, you played Tottenham, what was the hotels like, where did you stay? but the hotels are amazing, what was White Hart Lane like, you know, so I think it was more speaking to them about my experiences and them thinking, right, I want a bit of that. And also you know, seeing it was possible yeah, yeah. for a lad to come fro- through the youth team and get into the first team. So rather than giving them an advice, I think, you know, the lads would say themselves that you were seeing one of your teammates who you played with in the youth team now cement um, or be playing regular in the first team and it sort of give them the, um, that extra push that, yeah, we can do it. If we work hard
0: enough, we can also get in the first team as well. Yeah, so your uh, your first goal for the for the club came in the Manchester derby. Uh, what was it like playing in them games against, obviously against Sitter?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty relaxed sort of person. I never really got nervous. Um, I never really got above my station. So it would it. Looking back now, it was I was just young, and I I think if you pr- I probably got m- nervous or more. M- on more occasions, when I was older, when you realise what's at stake, mm-hmm. I think back then, even yeah. though it's a huge game, you're at Old Trafford, you're making your full debut against, you know, your local derbies. Obviously, I'd played against the youth youth cup. I played against City in the youth team, played against Liverpool in the youth team. So I was used to that rivalry. All it was was you're just stepping up in standard, and you're now in the first team, and there's probably thought forty thousand more people. But at that age, <laughs> I did. I, I wasn't that sort of. Thinking about that, I just went out and played. And I think Sir Alex um, had a lot to do with that, where, you you know, mm -mm, okay, there's a big crowd, you're at Old Trafford, but all I want you to do is do what you've been doing in the youth team. That's why you're here. And that sort of calmed me down and relaxed me, if there was any nerves anyway.
1: Was there any uh, senior players in the first team when you first moved up that sort of helped you... uh Settle in quite quickly.
2: Oh, it was yeah, It was loads. I was so lucky. Um, I had absolute brilliant characters and, and leaders within that team. You know, Brian Robson, Steve Bruce, mm. um, Brian McClare. Um I'd obviously seen Lee Sharp um, break through the first team and and play um, for a couple of years and do so well. Um, so that I, I think I always say that these sort of players never when I was playing well you know they just left me to it when the manager had a pop at me or I wasn't playing so well that's when you need help from the older players the experienced players because they've been through it you know when you lose a game and you're 18 19 or you miss an open goal or you miss a great chance you literally think it's the end of the world you think the manager's never going to pick me again you know I should have scored we'd have won the game mm. so you think it's the end of the world and <clears throat> You know I remember on numerous occasions me sat on the coach and thinking that, and the likes of Steve Bruce would come and sit next to me and go, "Don't worry about it, you've got another game next week, you'll come back um, don't listen to him, you know it'd be that sort of thing and them little just little words that they just give you so much more confidence and realize make you realize that it's not the end of the world that actually you know they've been through that and they've come through it so I was really lucky that I had, a tea, I had a changing room that was just full of uh, players who were willing to help you. So um, I took that later on in my career and you know, helped as many young
0: players as I could. Yeah, we touched on obviously the rivalry with, uh, with City then. I'm actually quite interested to see from your point of view, obviously playing in them, to rank these three teams that you played against in terms of which you thought was the biggest rivalry to be involved with. We've got City, Liverpool and Leeds United. How would you rank them in terms of the rivalries? Um, Well, when we
2: got into the first team, um, well, in the early 90s, 100%, for me, it would be Liverpool, Leeds, City. Um, Liverpool were the ones to Mm. beat um, because it was... You know, we hadn't won the league. um, They were a million miles in front of us and I grew up with them winning everything. Um, and then Leeds, they were, they obviously picked up my first full season. They picked us um, to win the league, so that was huge as well. And then we throw in um, Eric, Eric Cantona, obviously leaving Leeds and then going back. Then few years that we would go back to Ellen Road, it was ferocious. You know, it was serious, serious yeah. um, atmospheres. And yeah, City, obviously. They weren't at the level um, of them two teams in regards to the quality that they had. But, of course, it's a local derby. I grew up as a United fan. Like I said before, I played against City in the youth team. Now, um, I, you know, it's, it's slightly different now. Um, Liverpool, I would always say, were the biggest rivals for me. But now, obviously, City have overtaken Leeds because of where Leeds went and now City are. But... In the early days, it was definitely um, in that order for me.
0: Yeah, in a way, I know it sounds bad. Obviously, coming from a United, obviously a United legend, a United fan, would you like to see Leeds back in the Premier League uh, to see them sort of games play out again? Yeah, I don't have to go and play at Ellen Road anymore. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. Because even though. Um, there was a real dislike and probably bigger dislike for Leeds than city and Liverpool is a genuine dislike between the fans and and obviously the atmospheres with Liverpool it was a really um, competitive um, environment mm-hmm. and Anfield was the and still probably is the toughest place that I've had to go but Ellen Rowe was was ferocious it was. You it, you, sometimes you didn't feel safe and it was a different twist. Um, you know, and when we would walk into Elm Road, especially with Eric, you know, I would be like, go on Eric, you go first, I'll be 20 yards behind you and you were literally walking, you were literally walking through the fans and it, oh, was, yeah. it was dangerous and even my mates who would go oh. and watch the game, they would rank Leeds as like, you know, sometimes, hmm, don't know if I fancy going there because it is that crazy <coughs> So I would love to see Leeds back in, um, back in the uh, Premier League because they are a big club and the history that
0: we have got with them and it would be an amazing two games. Yeah, so what, have we moved, as we move on the years now, what was it like as more of uh, your youth teammates? that? What was it like when they started coming through? You know, as Gary Neville and Phil Neville started coming through into the first team, what was that like?
2: Oh, it was, it was brilliant for me. Um, you know, obviously I, I was quite close to Sharpie and I was quite close to Paul Ince. Uh, but, you know, I've known these lads since I was 13. Um, so, they were then and they are now mates. You know, not teammates, but proper mates. So, yeah. to have them coming through at the same age, you know, and you just naturally... Um, you know, sit next to each other, i got the same interests. So back then, you know, we would all be sat together on the coach and gradually it would be, you know, maybe me and Nicky first and then, you know, Scolzi would come. No, Scolzi was the last probably. <laughs> then it would be Nev and then um, Bex was on loan a few times. But then all of a sudden, you know, there was the five of us. Um, and also, you know, you had the likes of Ben Thornley Who early on would be involved in that, and then um, you know a couple of years later would be Phil. But yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant because you don't get that. You don't get mates coming through um, very often. You know, in in a group, um, and they're not only teammates; they're actual mates.
1: Do you feel like that kind of bond contributed to success? That kind of bond within the team.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. And I I think also training. Um, you know, we <laughs> go back to Eric. Eric was quite happy on that Friday afternoon um, in that little five-a-side game that we had, kicking lumps out of each other. Um, and he would very often just... He wouldn't blow his whistle and there would be ridiculous tackles going in. And that then got taken into the first team where, you know, the likes of Brian Robson coming to the end, Steve Bruce, Gary Pallister, taking it easy in training. And all of a sudden you've got these kids coming through who are mates, but still kicking lumps out of each other and, you know, (laughs) wanting to win every day in training and having that edge. And it didn't matter who you were, you know, I would playing the ball and scolzy would come in with a late tackle and i would be like (laughs) okay next time you get the ball right okay is it like that and i would be smashing scolzy and then nicky would get involved and it would um yeah i think it definitely helped the competitiveness and the hunger and it also had an effect i always say when a young player comes through it has an effect on the older experienced players because then they have to step up because otherwise they'll get left for dead
0: in training yeah so as a group of, of, of mates, you experienced a lot of success, and I think you could say it peaked maybe at the uh, the '99 treble-winning season. Uh, what was it like the night after the night in Barcelona when you were all together and you realised that you would just won the Champions League with, like you say, a group of mates?
2: Yeah, it, it was amazing because back then, um, not only we were mates, but our families would go to nearly every away European game. So yeah. my mum would go, uh, Gary's mum and dad would go, Nicky's mum and dad would go, and Bex's mum and dad would go, and all the families were mates. So after that, obviously we're celebrating, it was an amazing achievement, but you can't wait after the dressing room, you're doing all your interviews, you can't wait to get to see... Your family and your friends and also share it together and that is obviously special they're, they're the special moments that you get because they've been on that journey with you as well and like I say they would come for two-day trips for you know to Milan to um to Munich they would be they would be a part of it they would be a part of and you would often see them the day before the, um, the game at the hotel or they would come over and say hello so it was a huge part of it not only us as friends
0: but us as a group of of a of, of a family yeah we're talking obviously of the successes of 1999 what was it like at the the tail end of that season obviously you played so many games was it tough mentally and obviously physically to get through them last games or you know did adrenaline sort of push you through the finals and the final games yeah i think um adrenaline i mean
2: i've just you forget you forget what happened and um obviously it's just past um the anniversary twenty one and you know you, you go into more detail. Um you know, I didn't play for five weeks before I got injured in the semi final when I scored the goal. Um I didn't play for another four or five weeks. Um Jesper didn't play for three weeks before the Champions League final, obviously Nicky because of Paul and Roy. Um, suspension he didn't play in the FA Cup final he always says you know I wanted to play in that FA Cup final so it was a real you forget what happened but it was a real team effort it was a real squad effort and um, if you weren't playing you know normally you would have the little bit of the ump. you would you know you'd still support the team but there would be a bit of like disappointment that didn't happen you know, you knew you were going to get your games. And whoever was playing, even if it was in your position, you supported them, and you wished them well, and you would help them. And yeah, it was a it was a real team effort, and it was it was adrenaline, it was uh, momentum, and obviously the manager managed it really well because there was a lot of things that he had to juggle.
0: Yeah, obviously, throughout your career, you've played with many unbelievable players. Who, in your opinion, do you think? Is the best player that you've played with? Um, the best player I've played with
2: is is Ronaldo. Um, I hmm. he's the best player that you know. But he's he's the best player I played with. But he's gone on, and obviously he did amazing things at United. But then he's gone on to Real Madrid. He's gone on to Juventus. The most the best player I've seen at United consistently was Scully because um, hmm. he, You know when I was sort of at my peak, or when I was at United, you know I felt that I could do more you know more or less everything that any other player could do you know I'm talking about in training with Scolese it it was onto a different level it was um, you know if he was in the uh, possession team that team would keep the ball if he was small sided games the team that he was on they would more often than not win the game because he was on the team and he would dictate the game so he was the best player at United but overall what he's gone on and achieved and will be remembered as one of the best
0: ever is Ronaldo so what about players you've played against I think a game that comes to mind which probably you might have enjoyed playing in it but probably not because it was a loss is the the Champions League final against Barcelona when obviously that, that great Guardiola team would you put Messi up there as one of the best players you've played against
2: oh yeah 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 um Messi's, you know, there's a few players who, um, you know, you can have a plan, you can have a, um, or teams, you can have a plan. Um, Messi can just rip that plan completely. Um, he can mess up. he can rip that, that plan apart because he can do anything. You know, he can drop into little pockets, he can, especially when he comes central. When he comes more central, you know, when we beat him in the semi final to get to. 2008 um, final, um, he was right wing and he was st- he was still unbelievable, but Patrice Everett did an unbelievable job in the semi final, both semi finals to keep him quiet. Then when he moved centrally, you, you couldn't defend it. You couldn't defend it because um, he could go both ways. Yeah. He could drop in some little pockets in behind the midfield. Centre-half didn't necessarily want to go on top of him because he could run him behind as well. So he was the player who, you know, what him and Cristiano are doing now is something we might never see ever again with the goals that they're scoring and the the
0: trophies that they're winning, both individual and as a team. So we talked about the best player you've played with. Which player do you think you had the best you know, connection with on the pitch? Like you thought, I can find him without even looking up.
2: There was a few, there was a few really Um, A few that I had to work at But a few that just come naturally Skulls, Becks Didn't even need to shout Um, I knew when they were going to play me the ball And they knew where I was running And that was just I don't know if it was from Knowing each other for so long Um, And obviously the ability that they both had so, that in players finding me, it was them two. Um, in me finding players and also players finding me, Eric, um, that was just something that just come straight away. Um, I always felt comfortable uh, playing with Eric and know that if I made a run, he would find me. And when I was in a position to, to cross the ball, I knew where he was going to be. One that was an interesting one, which I really did have, and it was towards the end of my career, that didn't happen um, straight away was Robin Van Persie. Um, But afterwards, once I knew his Mm -hmm. runs, he was brilliant to play with. Um, Because he ran early and he was an intelligent player. And once I knew where he was running, and that was something that we discussed really between ourselves and something that Sir Alex um, brought up. And he, he actually... Watched us make a video or watched us uh, a video of Robin's runs and saying, listen, we're not finding him. And I'm watching him going, oh, right. Yeah. So it was a case of he ran that early that you didn't you didn't have time to look. So you control the ball and just play the ball in the space. And he was there. Yeah. So um, there was different players. Some just come naturally. Some you had to work up, work on a little bit more.
0: Yeah, obviously, we've we've talked about rivalries with uh, City, Liverpool, and Leeds. You were part of the United team, which had such a fierce rivalry in the early 2000s with that great Arsenal team. What were the battles like, you know, down at Highbury and at Old Trafford? What was it like to be a part of of them games?
2: No, it it was a battle. It was more than um, sort of football. Um, I I say it was more than football because you had to mentally prepare for it, um, as well as, you know, playing a game of football. And the reason why is because they were so good. You know, they were so good and they were so like us. Um, You know, such a good footballing team, had a good manager and were tough as well, you know, could mix it. So there just seemed to be huge hype um, building up to the game. And, Mm. you know, if we were playing them on a Sunday, Monday morning, it would start, you know whether it be Wenger or Sir Alex saying something or one of the players and there was always something on the game you know we were both going for leagues at that time so it was um, huge battles both physically mentally technically and you knew you had to be on your game as as a personally you knew you had to play well so um, there were brilliant battles and you know sometimes we got the better of them sometimes they got the better of us so you can never really um Predict who was going to get the better because it was such such two such good teams.
0: Yeah, you know, obviously United are famous for dominating under Sir Alex. How hard was it as a team, you know, to watch that Arsenal team go unbeaten for a full season? Was it like, oh, we should have done that? We wanted to do that. Was it tough to take for them to go the whole season unbeaten? Yeah, I think it was, it was tough to take,
2: um, but it's an unbelievable achievement, and you know, they had a lot. Yeah. They had a lot of luck. Um, you know, we should have beat them. Uh, you know, Rude, I think it was the first time Rude had missed a penalty for us. So, hmm. they'd had that little bit of luck, um, which you need, which every team, successful team, has. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I think, you know, you you were gutted that they did it, but also you're it's an unbelievable achievement. And especially, you know, when you finish and um, you're a lot more Chilled, whereas, you know, when I was playing, then you were probably thinking every week, I can't, I hope they get beat, please get beat. Uh, but now you're looking back, yeah. you're a little bit more philo- yeah. philosophical and you're a little bit more relaxed about it. and you, you know, hold your hands up there; it was a brilliant achievement.
0: Yeah so uh, in 2008, you won the Champions League again. Comparing the team, both teams that you won the Champions League with, in your opinion, which would you say was the was the better team? So if they came up against each other, who do you think could win? Uh, Mm.
2: I'm gonna mm, do you know what it's so tough Um, Mm. I'm gonna slightly contradict myself here Um, I always say 2019 was the best because achieve the treble it's never Mm. been done Um, that is an amazing achievement but the 2018 was was more of a sort of continental team, more of a European world sort of feel about it. You know, Edwin, had been at Ajax. Obviously, Patrice had been at clubs. We had Tevez, we had Ronaldo, we had Owen Hargreaves, who'd been um, obviously from Bayern. Um, and we had players who were the best in the world at their position. You know, the two centre-halves, the goalkeeper, the left-back. Um, Rooney, Tevez, Ronaldo—all players who were world class. You know who were, you know, would would walk into any team now. But the '99 team achieved the treble, and you know, we we also had Schmeichel, best goalkeeper ever for United. Yap Stam, the centre half who I would always pick first. Roy Keane best captain i ever played with one of the best players i've ever played with and then obviously you look at the likes of bex and Yorkie and coley and the the connection that they had and also the squad so it's yeah it's a real difficult one i always say that the 99 team is the best but yeah i wouldn't have a strong argument with anyone who said you know that the 2018 was was the better one
0: what was it like coming up against these sort of, as you say, world-class players in training? What was it like, say, going into training and having to face up day in, day out against like the likes of Yapstam and Roy Keane? Did that obviously make you better as a player, playing with them every day?
2: Yeah, it definitely does. And, I, I you know, for me, coming through, um, I think when I come through, I always trained well. I always wanted to give 100%. And, you know, I was coming up against players like Pali like Steve Bruce, like Brian Robson, who who were coming towards the end and, you know, sometimes take it easy in training. You know, they'd done all their training when they were younger. They were just preparing for that Saturday and they would produce on that Saturday. I think I touched on it, young players coming through and um, that class of 92 coming through perhaps made it more competitive. And also you get a feel of that when the likes of Rio Ferdinand and... other players who would um, come to the club and go wow you you guys train at 100 miles an hour and they're not used to it mm. they're not they weren't they weren't used to it and it would take a bit of time to get used to and they would ha- either sink or swim so they would either have to train to that because you'd look stupid otherwise when I first come into the team you would have players who would stand out who weren't doing so well um, but they produce on the Saturday, I think as you you know lads get more professional and um, the facilities are better and the pitches are better, training got better and better and um, in the end, you had to train well to, to get in the team, so um, it definitely improved you as a player and I always say for me Saturday was, was relatively easy because I 'm not going to come up against a better fullback than Gary Neville. You know, I'm playing against Nev every day in training. England uh, mm-hmm. right back, um, and I've got to get the better of him. So, that come Saturday, I'm not going to play against a better player than him.
0: Yeah, obviously, it's it's unheard of nowadays for a player to play for one club for his whole his whole career. Uh, and it's even stranger for 23 of them years to be uh, with the same manager. What was what was Sir, Sir Alex like as a manager? I know, I know, you could probably talk about this for. For, for hours but so in a quick if you had to sum it up quickly what is he like as a manager well he ticked
2: every box you know obviously I'm a manager now and he ticked every box in regards to, and it's it's not easy um, but obviously he had the experience um, he had the desire his big thing was working hard um, tactically um, he was very good he um, he evolved so, when I first come into the team, there would be him, himself and Archie Knox, then Brian Kidd. When he finished, there would perhaps be 15 staff on the pitch. And he embraced that. Sports mm. science, analysis, um, masseurs. Um, you know, all these things he embraced. And, you know, that's not easy to do if you've had a way of winning and you want to stick with it. So, he was old school in his um, discipline and his tradition and his history, but also he evolved um, when the game evolved. So, and he wasn't afraid to delegate. So, you know, he would delegate training. He would set the tone. He would tell us what we're working on that week. But then he would let the coaches do it. He would let the sports science prepare us pre-season and he would listen to the stats. So he ticked every box and he was... The best man manager, you know, he, he knew when to be tough with you, when to put an arm around you. And again, that's not easy either. You know, if you're not playing well and, you know, it's... And you've got 25 other players to look after, you know, and to put their arm around him and try and... You always wanted to play for him. whether And, you know, I had mm. loads of falling outs with him. Loads. And he was particularly harsh on the likes of myself, Nicky, Scalzi, Bex. But I always wanted to play for him. Always. Even if we hadn't spoke for a week. Mm. Come that, I wanted to, to win for him. So, yeah, he,
0: he ticked every box when it comes to being a manager. Do you think he came down quite hard on the lads, obviously, you just said, to sort of prove a point to players coming into a club, like, saying. Even these have been here so long. You can't, you can't get comfortable. You've got to earn your place at all, at all times. He definitely, yeah. He, he did that with me
2: um, towards the end. I remember him. Mm. I was hmm, thirty. What would I have been? I was thirty-seven, thirty-eight, and he um, went after me. Pre-season training. I'll never forget it. Where New Jersey. Um, training at the New York Giants um, uh, training ground and he pulled in training and um, there'd been a night out and all the lads had gone out and something had happened and he held me responsible. I I had nothing to do with what happened, but he held me responsible because I was the oldest. It was me and Edwin, but he went for me for that reason Mm. and he pulled me after and I was like, and he went for me big and I was like, that yeah. was out of order, and he pulled me afterwards and went, I went for you there because they can't think that they can get away with it, and they can't think that if I ever go at you, then no one's safe. So he definitely did it yeah. later on in my career. Early on, my career was more, I'd set a standard if I dropped below that standard, um, he would be onto me, and that was the same with Scalzi and Bex because he knew us for so long. If we didn't produce, or if we weren't
0: working hard enough, he would be on to us. Yeah, obviously. At what point during your career did you start to prepare for a, a coaching route? Like, when did you start doing your badges? Was it quite near the end, or did it? Was it something you thought about quite early on?
2: No, I mean it, it was. Um, I was twenty nine. Um, I was twenty nine when I started. Mm. Twenty nine thirty. So there was myself, Gary, Roy Keane, Nicky Bot. Uh, Ollie and Ollie as well so we would uh, we were doing our B licence and we were doing it at Carrington so a co- uh, coach would come in and um, we would do it at Carrington because obviously we were still playing so it was then where I wouldn't say I was starting thinking about coaching but it was much easier because we were doing it as a group we could bounce ideas off each other we could help each other um, so that's when we started then about um 34, 35 I did my A licence and then I did my Pro licence when I was still playing. So I did my Pro licence in my, not my last year, the year before. So it, yeah it was a case of just preparing yourself um, whenever it came mm. um, and yeah that's what we decided to do.
1: How did the initial first steps uh, come about? Um, when you got into coaching, obviously you ended up interim manager. Under you ended up assistant manager, then interim manager. Um, how did that all come about? Well, um, the the first um, so
2: I was sort of a coaching role with David Moyes that I was actually on my pro license. So I was in Turkey. I was at the under twenties World Cup, and I got a phone call, from David Moyes, um, asking me to come on board with a coaching role. I'm sure Sir Alex had something to do with it. Um, you know, it was sort of a step for me, as well as playing. And I said, as I actually said to David Moyes, I said, uh, can I think about it? And the reason why um, is because I wanted to concentrate on myself as I thought it might be my last season. I wanted to concentrate on my playing career. And I thought, will it hinder? But in the end, I spoke to Sir Alex, spoke to other, a few other people, and i thought yeah it's no i'll do it because i can i can um play and train obviously but also get the inside track on how you prepare for training for games and mm-hmm. um it's a good opportunity and an opportunity that i can't turn down in the end i didn't do one i was still playing and it was it was too difficult it was too hard um Preparing yourself, especially at thirty-nine, forty, for training for games, and to do the both—you know—to stay late for meetings—it was too hard, and I struggled. And after about five or six months, I stopped going to the meetings before for training because they were about an hour long. I was having to get an hour earlier, and it was affecting my football. So I come away from it. And then, obviously, uh, David um, left, and I took over in them four games. Um, Took over in the four games. Um, Obviously, then Louis got announced after my first game. And um, in regards with Louis, um, he wanted to meet me. Um, And I had a decision to make. Do I go elsewhere? Do I maybe play another year? I could have probably played another year, maybe two, because I had no injuries. I was still fit. Um, But I was thinking, no, if I'm going to be a coach, I need to start now. So I went, flew over to to Holland to meet Louis. Uh, we spoke. Uh, we had similar sort of ideas on the players within the squad, and he said, "I want you to be yeah. my assistant." So that's where that's
0: how I got to be assistant. Yeah. So we've uh, we've come away from your time at United. Uh, you have achieved sixty four caps for Wales, and you were part of some great Welsh teams, which included the likes of you know Gary Speed, John Artson, Robbie Savage. Were you shocked that? You didn't make it to a major tournament considering the quality that you had within your team.
2: Yeah, I mean, we we got close twice. So we got close um, Mm. in the early 2000s when Mark Mark Hughes was manager. We had a two-legged game uh, to get to the Euros uh, in 2004 against Russia, drew the first game away from home and then they beat us. And the reason they beat us, we played with the same team, they tweaked it a little bit. And that was the story, really. We never had the strength in depth. Mm. My first campaign, yeah. uh, World Cup 94, we should have got there then. We had a really good team and we were really a penalty away from, from going. You know, we, were, um, we had an opportunity to score a penalty, we missed it and um, we didn't go through because of that. But that team was just coming towards the end. Yeah, Neville Southall. Kevin Ratcliffe, uh, Mark Hughes, Ian Rush, Dean Saunders. um, Really good team. Um, But Mark Hughes had to play midfield. You know, it was that sort of... um, Mm. Gary Speed had to play left-back. It was about getting the best players on the pitch, but not necessarily in their best positions because, you know, Mm. we didn't have a left-back, but we had Gary Speed who could play there. Uh, didn't have a midfield, so we had to play Mark Hughes there, he was a centre-forward. You know, you couldn't put a midfielder there and leave Mark Hughes on the bench at that time, because it was Ian Rush and Dean Saunders yeah. up front. They couldn't play any of position, really. So, it was a bit, lots of chopping and changing, and then, in be- it was um, 10 years in between that, and in between that, them great players retired, and we didn't have a great team in um, years
0: Um, and especially that strength in depth. So, you touched on Mark Hughes then. What was it like, you know, you grew up watching him at United and then played with him at United. What was it like then for him to become the international coach then? Was it a bit, what was the relationship like with him? No, it was good. I mean, obviously he'd left United by
2: then. He'd gone and played um, other teams. Um, But no, it was good because, you know, when Sparky took over, the professionalism and the organization and the it was it was tough for me because he wasn't great. Um, wasn't great, wasn't what I was used to at United. And then Sparky took over and he took it on to the next level. Obviously he'd been part of that process, he'd been frustrated. Um, and he took it on to the next level and he enjoyed it. And he was very much he had Really good people around him. He had Mark Bowen, Eddie Nisrytsky, who was the coaches. So he had really good people around him, and um, obviously Sparky was a big um, manager for working hard, making sure you're organised. And you know he'd been Barcelona, he'd been Man United, he'd been Bayern Munich, Chelsea. You know he'd been at clubs where he had a lot of experience
0: and played under a lot of great managers. Yeah, and obviously now you've st- you've stepped up into that role, uh, the international manager. How does it differ, uh, feelings-wise, from playing for your country compared to managing your country? Oh yeah, it's
2: completely different. I mean, um, you know, as a player, I touched on it before. I was pretty relaxed. So you train, yeah, yeah. you get up, you have breakfast, you train, you are you prepare for training, you train, and you do your stretches. Then you go lie down. It's boring international football, you just sat in a hotel room for 10 days, 11 days. Train, eat, Mm. sleep. As a manager, you're planning that training session. So you have an earlier breakfast uh, because you want to know about the injuries of the medical department and then you can plan training because you know the players that you've got. Then obviously you do training, then you evaluate training. You get ready to prepare for the meeting that night because there's lots of meetings because you don't get time on the grass. So it's constant. And from when you get up to when you go to sleep, you don't stop. Together with media, commercial department, um, sponsors. Yeah, there's a lot of people pulling you from pillar to post. So it's completely different. And also as a, the feeling, the feeling is completely different because you're in charge of a nation, you're in charge of the staff, um, you're in charge of the media, the players, the fans. So rather than just being really, you're a part of a team but looking after yourself, you have to look after so many more people and um, you do a lot more thinking, you, mind never stops. Whereas a football I was quite, I trained, then I could switch off
0: and relax. Yeah, obviously you've qualified for the Euros, which are which are meant to take part, take place this year, but have been moved to next year. Do you feel, in a way, that's a sort of you know blessing in disguise, considering you've got such a young team um, with Wales and players like David Brooks who are out injured, give them a chance to come back and get some first team football under the belt before the tournament. Well, I hope so. You know, if
2: everything goes to plan, then you hope so because I've got young players who um, will be a year older, a year more experience. But you don't know where they're going to be at this time next year. The, mm. um, we had you know, one of our big players, Joe Allen, who we're going to miss this summer. Hopefully he'll be fit next year. Mm. Um, I'm sure he will. But we were all geared up for this summer. you know, And we had the momentum as well. Unbeaten in six. Um, and there was a real mm. feel-good. So you can look at the negatives. You can look at the positives. If everything goes to plan, then it probably will be a positive. Because... We have got so many young players coming through, um, some who haven't played many games because they were on loan. You know, hopefully they can cement a place at their own um, their own clubs, or they go on a better loan um, somewhere else and they get more games. So, yeah, well, only time will tell. But hopefully, we will be in a better um, state than than we are at the moment, which. You know, we're saying a lot because we're we're in a good moment at the moment but we, you know for example nico williams who's playing for liverpool he's never been in my squad so you know a player like mm. that where, where's he in you know another year is he playing regular for liverpool does he go out on loan so there's all ifs and buts um
0: and yeah we'll have to wait and see yeah if we come outside your management and your coaching side after retirement you've obviously Got into co-ownership of Salford City. Um, How's your experience been so far? Obviously, they have been very successful in the the few years you've been there. Oh, it's been amazing. Um, You know, it's been such a
2: thrill, such a ride. Um, You know, me and Gary sort of discussed a lot uh, when we were playing, what we were going to do afterwards. Um, And obviously, we got into business together, and we did our coaching badges together. Um, but we wanted something that, you know, the class of 92, we could all be a part of in twenty, twenty five, thirty 30 years. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that is if you, you're in charge, you own a club, because you're not going to be a manager for, you know, sometimes a year, two years, or a coach. That can chop and change all the time. But, you know, we have a real chance of moulding something that was... Um, Obviously, close to our hearts because it's in the middle of Salford, and yeah, trying to achieve something which, you know, we already have uh, because of what we've done and the promotions that we've got, and the state of the club, and you know the jobs that we've we've give um, in the area. So, but we want to achieve more. So it's it's amazing, and you know, let's see where we are in ten years because it's and it's also a chance for us all to get together. You know, and that's not just us as well. It's Chris Casper, who works at the club, who's part of our youth team, and um, you know, regularly see each other, go to games, have
0: meetings. So, yeah, it's a good way of staying in touch, also. Yeah, you touched right there about the the ten years. Um, I think we've got Gary coming on soon, so it'll be interesting comparing what you and Gary say to this question. Uh, where do you see Salford being in ten years? Well, um, <laughs> just don't know. I mean. Hopefully, um,
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, self-sustainable would be good. Um, in regards to, you know, we're getting regular crowds. We're at a high level, so we're getting good TV money, and um, we're getting good sponsorship money. And um, we've had players potentially come through the system, so we've had players um, who we've molded. Coming through Salford City, and just a team that the the city can be proud of. Um, now, whether that's in League Two, League One, the Championship, the Premier League, who knows? And that's what's exciting. Um, we don't know, but you know, we're ambitious. We want to be the best. We want to be competitive. But as we found, you know, it's
0: it's not easy. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps it up nicely. Um... I just want to say thank you, Ryan, for for joining us today. Great, enjoyed it. Cheers, guys.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, no problem. Take care. Perfect.